Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free gift for you on how to scale your agency to multiple six and even seven figures and beyond by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself from the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. Again, that's 720-792-8036. Just text the word freedom and I'll send you the free gift on how to achieve freedom in your agency and life. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners? Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we're hanging out with Paul Bellows. He is the president and co founder of Yellow Pencil since 1996. That's the last 25 years he and his team have built digital platforms and worked alongside public sector clients to develop the operational maturity and cloud infrastructure that power exceptional experiences and service journeys. He's got clients like the city of Toronto, the city of Edmonton, the government of Manitoba, the government of Alberta. Maybe you're seeing a trend here. Before starting Yellow Pencil, Paul was also an award-winning folk rock singer and songwriter He was one of the first musicians to use the internet for music promotion and sales. And one of his albums got in the top 10 list across North America. Dude, good to welcome you to the program. Hey, Brent. Good to meet you, man. This is great. So you've been in the agency game a long time. You you ditched your music career. Are are you still uh, still playing? Well, you never really stop playing music, right? It's just, it wouldn't be a profession for me anymore. I wouldn't sort of say it's what I do for a living. I don't know if that ever was a living. And that's kind of why I I decided at some point that the checks from the digital agency work quickly eclipsed the checks from the independent singer-songwriter work. And the writing was (laughs) on the wall pretty fast. Yeah, I had at one point back in the the late 90s, I had a a label deal with a little label out of Seattle. And they were an indie label and it was signed to their label, me and some other singer-songwriters. And then they got picked up by Sony and Sony had this rule. They said, look, you know, we'll take your roster and we'll bring you on and we'll invest in your label, but only the full-time musicians can come along. People are serious about it. who are doing the career thing. People with side hustles and other jobs, you know, they don't get to come along for the ride. So they call me, they're like, okay, you got to move to Seattle, which means I'm from Canada here. So I got to cross an international border, like legally and kind of set up shop in a new country. And I got to make this massive gamble, leave family, friends, and, you know, even my home country and come to, come to the U.S. and give up all my other means of sustainability and sustainment. And I just sort of did the math and I thought, I think this thing that I'm doing with the, with the websites is, is a much better career choice for me right now. I can still do music. So I still play. I play for my kid. I play for my friends. I'll do the odd little show. But now it's uh, day-to-day. It's just all the digital stuff here that, that keeps the bills paid. Yeah, very cool. Well, I know you work a lot with public sector clients and... I was trying to think before we got on how many people we've talked to. I mean, there's a lot of agencies that have like a client here or there within the public sector, yeah. but not a major focus. And um, yeah. I, maybe I have some hypotheses of of why that is, and we can get into yeah. the pros and cons of working with government agencies and and, and how you go about winning that business. Because I think that would be something of of interest to our people is is how do you, you know, approach these types of, yeah. whether it's cities or governments and the procurement process and the RFP process and 
I mean, I, I know that the very few government orgs that we worked with uh, when running our agency, it was, it was, um, it's a different, it's a different animal uh, in terms totally of how you, how you work with them. Yeah. Was that uh, something you guys kind of fell into or was it in, an intentional, like, we're going to go out and focus on this market? Well, I, it, I wouldn't say we at some point made that conscious decision, really conscious. We said, hey, we, we need to like pick our vertical and, and pick where we're going. And, and so we stumbled a little bit into public sector work. And there were sort of a couple of, of inflection points that got us there. So around, so we started, we were in this space early. So around like 2000, we got really interested in web accessibility. And, and I, I can't entirely tell you why, other than it just seemed like a really obvious thing that should be part of the DNA of the web is the whole point of this is anyone can get to anything. You know, like this is publicly available information, consumable by anybody on any device. That's the entire point of the web. You know, that's why we have the web is this, this open global system. And if you're building things in a way that shuts out part of the population, well, then you're just sort of missing the vision for what the web is. So we started learning a lot about accessibility and just making interfaces and things we were building accessible. And government likes that. And then a, a few years later, you know, so we had some government clients who noticed that we were doing that. We had a bit of government work in our portfolio some cities, some, some, some up here in Canada, we have provincial governments instead of state governments. But, you know, so that started to grow. And then around the mid 2000s, and this was, it was still early days for like content management systems. There weren't a lot of great systems. People were sort of dabbling, you know, this idea that your content would be in a database rather than just sort of flat HTML files, you know, powered by Dreamweaver. You know, this is still sort of the new era in like 2003, 2004. And we started working with uh, the government of Alberta here, kind of where I live here in Western Canada. Uh, they're the provincial government here. And they had bought this system out of Germany, this database-driven content management system, and they were just befuddled by it. Like, it was just, it was this new thing. They weren't sure what our best practices, how did this work? And we kind of got in and thought, oh, we understand how this works. So we ended up with this contract to kind of redesign their entire kind of web environment and, and roll, they had like 400 websites and 125,000 pages of content and this massive design system. We got this contract to build it all and we realized, oh man, yeah, content management systems and like, People don't know how to do this well. That's, that's a thing that we could specialize in. So we started working with a couple of technologies. And then, you know, as soon as you get into that space, now you're dealing with like, like publishing workflows and governance and, you know, access controls and all these sort of governance and, and operational issues around websites. You know, it's less about the project to build it. It's more about like, how do you set this thing up to run successfully for a decade, right? Like, how do you actually architect this, this system and like build all the permissions and the workflow in, you know, to ensure like, this thing's going to thrive. And that became a specialty. Again, government likes that. But we were still sort of in our mindset going, yeah, we, we can work with anybody with complex content. We can work with anybody that needs accessibility. We'll work with anyone that buys the technology we know. And so we were doing like banks and we ended up working for Home Depot at one point and like just all kinds of different organizations, right? Anyone who bought this technology that we knew, we were really sort of focused on the technology. And then in about 2011, we started noticing the company who sold the main technology we used it wasn't on their website anymore, right? And the leads were starting to dry up. And we'd essentially built our whole business as a channel partner to this one big software company who's, you know, we worked with a few systems, but they were the ones we used, like 80% of our work was on this one technology. We started talking and they said, you know what? We bought something else. We're going in a different direction. And this is one of those big, these big tech companies that owns like 200 different pieces of software. And this, you know, they started stack vendors, you know, and we realized, drat, we built our whole business model knowing how to do a thing, having a certain technical expertise. And the minute that the market evolved behind, past that technical expertise, we have no strategy. 
easily. Mm-hmm. We started to become kind of a big team too, you know, and we had a lot of folks and salaries were going up and the work had been coming in and suddenly the work dried up almost overnight. And there was this huge crisis point where we realized we need to know what we are to the world other than just a group of people that has one really good trick, which is this one technology we know how to work with. It's one thing we're experts in. You know, we actually need to know something about our customer space. We need to know who our customer is. And, you know, I'll be honest, there were a couple of years where we sort of stumbled around a little bit, not totally sure where that was. But by about 2016, 2017, we were sort of starting to realize, yeah, you know what? Public sector is our thing. That is maybe what we know a lot about. And when we show up with expertise and we can talk about who they are and how they operate and what their unique needs are, regardless of the technology, we get a lot more attention than we just sort of show up and say, well, we don't know who you are, but we're really good at the how. You know, it's like Simon Sinek, you know, he's like, you got to get to the why, not the how. We realize yeah. we kind of know the why when it comes to public sector stuff. And that's a much better place to start a strategic relationship with customers. That's, that's really kind of how that part evolved. But, you know, you're right. Like, public sector comes with a real barrier to entry, right? Like, procurement is a mess. Decision-making is complex. Budgets are never where you need them to be. Kind of got to wait for them to be ready to do the work, which isn't always when you're ready to do the work. And so it puts a lot of challenges in our agency. And we just decided, look, why don't we get good at something? Why don't we learn how to do something really well that other people aren't trying to do? You know, everyone else mm. is saying, we don't answer RFPs. They're like, we only answer <laughs> RFPs and we're good at it, right? So we just decided, you know, like that, that weakness or that barrier is actually going to make it our strength. And that was really the mindset we brought to it. Yeah, well, that's really cool. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. So the uh, the the short answer to uh, to when you decided, <laughs> right? It was it was uh, it was twenty years in the making. It was kind of what I yeah, heard. basically, yeah, yeah, twenty year overnight success. <laughs> yeah. 20, 20 years of of choosing your market. So for our listeners out there thinking, oh yeah, I could choose my market and figure this out in the, in a weekend, right? I think that nope. I mean, sometimes it is is marinating a little bit in in what you're doing and and seeing where the market's taking you, and then having you know small inflection points of strategy in there. I mean, I think the idea that, hey, this stuff is hard, like procurement, decision-making, budgets, this stuff's all a mess with government. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's all a pain in the butt. Like, if it's a pain for me, it's actually kind of a pain for everybody, right? Like, if this is hard, it means it's hard for everybody. And and I think yeah. where where most web web agencies are at is their competition. It's it's like a zero dollar, like the 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 cost of entry in this market's like nothing. Yeah, you know. Well, um, you know, but, but if you can find those places, right, that that create a little bit of a moat, then that that gives yeah. you a competitive advantage. And I think moat is one of the things that most agency owners like like you when you figure out that you need it, you know, often it's sort of too late because, you know, here's the weird thing about running a digital agency, right? You've, you've picked this area of business where there's like absolutely no barrier to entry. You can graduate from a design d- diploma program with like a two-year program and have a laptop and be a business, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the prerequisite. You need, to, you need to have a certain skill and a piece of hardware that doesn't cost that much. 
and you can be in and you can start to compete on price and you can start to like compete yeah. on personality and on, on creative work and whatever you want. So if you're a more established business, what's the moat you build to prevent like 80 other companies from coming and just chasing your same customers and being 10% cheaper or 5% yeah. more creative or whatever that is, right? Or just having a thing they know how to do, a new trick that people are interested in. And you've got to build your moat. Otherwise, you're constantly running on a treadmill of you got to learn the next new thing and that's interesting trick. And then you need to like train your people on it. And then that means you're constantly change, chasing high-risk projects, projects that are, well, we're learning on the job. We don't know what it's going to cost. We've never done it before. And that's exhausting. It's exhausting for you. It's exhausting for your people. Some people get energized by it, but it just it's hard to build a business, a stable business where you can just go on holidays and plan some retirement. You know, it's 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 a cool paid hobby, but it's <laughs> you know, and it's sort of connected to your passions probably, but it's a business where you can like. I might want to sell this to someone. I might want someone to take it over. They say, well, what's, what's the mode around this business? Nothing but hustle. Well, yeah. Who's going to want to buy that, right? So I think, it's, I think that mode and that work you do to, to make yourself different from others and uniquely valuable to somebody in the world, that's the work that really creates value in the business that you could sell or, 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 or grow or, or exit, you know, which is at some point in your life, you're going to want to do those things. Yeah. Well, paint us a picture of, of Yellow Pencil today. So you're 25 years yeah. in the making. You've got your market, which is you know government, public sector. Um, yeah. What's what does the business look like in terms of team and overall structure? Yeah. So so we're we're about 60 people right now. We just crossed 60 people. So that that's sort of like a mid sized agency. And so we've got a leadership team. There's there's eight of us on the leadership team, and each of us has sort of a different accountability for a part of the business. So we've got someone who's people ops and finance. Someone who's project and delivery. We got a, a technical leader for development. We got a creative leader for creative. We do a lot of managed services. So we actually have created products, and we've actually got a product engineering team internally. It's small, but it's 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 growing. So you've taken some of the the content management stuff and the search technology that we work with. It's open source. We've engineered that into Google Cloud Platform and built a lot of features on top of it that help our customers with DevOps and automated testing and and performance management of their sites as well as some analytics tools to kind of measure what's going on. So we've got a product team, and so there's another leader there. Uh, so there's the leadership team. And then below that, we've got, we've got three project teams, and we're just working on our fourth team. So we structured it so that each project team has everything you need. It's like a mini agency. We've got a project manager, a QA, a content strategist, a designer, a UX and strategy person, front-end and back-end developers. So there's about eight to nine folks in each team. And they can take a full project on and deliver the entire project end-to-end. And then when they've done the project, they hand it off to our other team, which is our support team. And that support team takes care of all the ongoing ad hoc support requests and care and feeding. We really found that the support work was getting really distracting to the project teams. Like you're deep down in a project, the customer shows up with a critical ticket that's time-sensitive for something the CEO or an executive wants by next week. Well, how do you fit that in without tanking all your other deliverables or burning over time or stressing people out. So we actually offloaded all that into a support team where all they do is just the ad hoc ticket work and across our whole portfolio, kind of know about what that work is in a month and can kind of predict it. We've got enough predictive data to say, it's about this much work and we need about this many people. And they can sort of load balance that a little more naturally. So then the, the final team is really our managed services and our product team. So they take care of all our cloud infrastructure and the security and the performance and the backups and the upgrades. And then we've got a, the product team that actually builds the interfaces our customers use to interact with our products and our cloud and ecosystem. So that's sort of the, the way the company is structured. So projects come in, they come kind of through leadership and director of delivery. They get assigned to a team. 
The team has everything they need to take that project on, you know, scope it, estimate it, contract it, deliver it to the customer. And then when the project is done, it hands off to support. And then often we'll live on our managed infrastructure and our cloud infrastructure. That's sort of the structure operationally, how the company works. And then in terms of the kind of work we do for our customers, it really breaks down into sort of three, three buckets. So the first would be just like websites, portals, intranets. You know, and that's usually the first thing we do with a customer. When they come in the door, they probably want to replatform, new design, new IA, new technology, new business need, whatever that is, or just our old site was so old that it's it's archaic or it's not even responsive. There's some something's driving them to replatform their site. So that's usually the first thing that we do with a customer. And there's usually an RFP connected to that. But the way we built the business model is we don't like you know only hunting elephants. And I I never want an elephant to die. That's a metaphor. <laughs> I'm not really a hunter, but like that old metaphor of like are you hunting chickens, gazelles, or elephants, you know. So like if you're only able to hunt elephants, just massive million dollar projects. That's really hard to sustain. You don't know like either two are going to land at the same time or none are going to land at the same time. And in both cases, you're kind of hooped. Like you're you're in rough shape. You either don't have the capacity to deliver, or you're paying team to sit there, you know, on book. So to solve that problem, we really look for clients where there's a long relationship. So we'll, we'll replatform their site. And then we'll look at what we call service transformations. We'll look at all the business units and like, what are y'all doing? Like, you know, in a, in a city government, they might have a transit department. And it's like, yeah, we're trying to bring our, you know, purchasing online. We're trying to bring mapping online. And so there's a lot of work for us to do, you know, on the other side of the website around, you know, the, the service modernization, service digitization work. And so that's sort of the annuity work that we do with our customers. We replatform you, we get you onto our managed service, then we work with you over a couple of years to just bring all the lines of business in so that they're actually able to publish their stuff online and bring services online and do transactional stuff online. And then we also work a lot because we're a Google partner. We work a lot with our AI tech around um, essentially supercharged chatbots. So we can build these, these, these machine learning agents that can live as a web chat agent or answer the phone, or respond to text messages. So when you sort of look at that and say, hey, you've got your core content in your website, and then you've got all these people that are coming at you through all these different channels and with all kinds of different contexts. And sometimes they can search, but sometimes they just need help to kind of like, I don't even know what I'm here to ask you for. Like, I want to put a new bathroom in the basement of my house. Like, who do I talk to? I don't know the city's organization. You know, tell me about, do I need a permit? What do I need? So you sort of talk to the chatbot and it'll kind of help you get to the right content and maybe even to a human who can help you. So it's sort of a it's sort of a, a intermediary between static web content and actually getting to an expensive human agent who has to answer the phone during office hours and talk you through something. So we sort of build these these sort of machine learning driven chatbots as sort of a, a, a middle zone to kind of you know it doesn't solve every problem, but maybe like sixty to seventy percent of requests that would have to wait for a human, you can answer in real time and kind of get somebody in the right direction, help them with some self service, especially since cities tend to operate like nine to five and then everyone goes home. And most of the problems that citizens have probably happen five to nine, you know, in the other 16 <laughs> hours of the day. So that's sort of the big parts of our business. Between those two, we try and set up relationships where, yeah, there's a big project to kick off the relationship. We get you onto our platform. Uh, we do a big thing together. But then it's all over the next five years or so. And kind of how can we constantly add value to that platform and, you know, and mature your business and kind of help you, help you to grow what you do. So that's kind of the one first is the structure. And then the second is how we actually operate and what we do for our clients and what our specialties are. Yeah. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to let you know about a hosting platform that is giving digital agencies and creators around the world an edge when it comes to site speed, scalability, and profit. It's called Cloudways, and it's designed to create exceptional experiences for you and your clients that guarantees unmatched performance, reliability, and choice with 24-7 award-winning support. 
Cloudways is excited to offer our listeners a $50 hosting credit in addition to their amazing benefits of their agency partner program. For more details, head over to yougurus.com slash cloudways or use promo code DASCW when signing up. Let's get back to our show. Very cool. I mean, I, I love the structure. I love the the vision, the model. That, that's all awesome. So I want to, I feel like there's, there's folks in our audience that maybe either are focused on government or could, uh, or might be considering it, that y- y- your yeah. insights would be insanely valuable. I realize some of this might yeah. be, you know, your own IP back to our conversation earlier, but I mean, you know, so, and a lot of agencies run the other way when it comes to RFPs and you like run towards the RFP, which is, uh, I don't know if that's scary or refreshing, but like, what are, what are some things that you know that if, if you were to go, if you were to give advice to somebody that's thinking about government contracts, like what are one or two things that um, would help them be more effective when looking at RFPs or pursuing government level work? Yeah. So I I think, you know, government, they're, they're very protective of their reputation. You know, they don't like when projects go badly and tech projects just go badly. Sometimes they're, they're hard to do well. Um, And there's a lot of risk built into them. They're complex. So, you know, things like, project management processes, mature project management processes, risk management, delivery expertise. You know, you need a really good portfolio. They need to look at your story and who you are and go, okay, this is someone you can rely on. This is someone who's done this for a while or at least has really good processes to ensure that there's going to be a good outcome on this project. So how how you show up and how you show that you're going to help them manage risk is one essential piece. And then you need to be willing to make that investment in the RFP process. It's, you know, they sort of say win rates are like maybe 10%. So you, you got to expect that you're going to write 10 RFPs for every one you're going to win. And and when you start, it'll probably be worse than that. So you need to make be prepared to make a certain investment in that kind of a biz dev and sales cycle. But on the flip side, you know, RFPs are a terrible way to make money because there is just so much unknown and you've got to make these big commitments. You know, I, I, I like to say it's kind of like playing like horseshoes over your with your neighbor, but over the fence where you're kind of, you're whipping it over the fence. You don't know if you're hitting the family dog or like beating some kid in the head with this big steel horseshoe. It's like, it could be going terribly. And it's hard to know because you just don't, you're not in a negotiation. You're not talking to somebody. Mm. That's really the only way government can buy things because they're held, you know, we, we don't want government to be taken for steak dinners and sold something and bought a bottle of wine and, you know, hustled into a sale. That, that, that just is too much room for corruption, right? We want some transparency in the process. We want a publicly tendered process because we don't want our tax dollars to just be going to whoever has the best hustle, right? You want yeah. tax dollars to be going to be people who have the experience and the best offering and the best value for money, right? Uh, in terms of delivery. So like RFPs are good for government, you know, in terms of procurement, they're just bad for the relationship. So you have to know that there's an account to manage on the other side of the first project. Like if you're just going after project-based RFP stuff, you're going to lose money on half the project. There will be something you declare in the RFP that the client holds you to that you've never considered, or you just didn't have time to think through all the implications. And wow, this thing is messy. It's going to cost me 30 grand more than I thought to build this one feature, but it's, we committed to it yeah. and it's a public process and you just got to do it. So you got to know how you're going to make money in the long term with the client, not the short term. And the client wants that too. They don't want their vendors to go to business. They don't want their vendors to be unsuccessful. Well, they also want to get what they pay for, you know, and they have to follow this process. No, they don't like the RFP process. You don't like the RFP process. No one likes it. It's just a necessary evil given the nature of government and society, right? So 
yeah, you got to know how you're going to make money for five years, not just for in that one project. Because sometimes those projects don't go well, and you got to be ready to absorb that risk. Yeah, yeah, I love this man. I love I love the the trust in 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 showing up in the process, investing in that RFP one in ten win rate. So good to know that going ahead, and then also the long term versus short term. This has been super valuable. Do you have time to stick around for our quick lightning round? Of course I do. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received was be clear. As a leader in an agency, it is so easy to deliver mixed messages. You've got to be clear. People have got to understand what you need them to do. And it's hard because it's agencies are chaotic and it's fast moving, but just be as clear as you can with your people and they need to know what you need them to do to be successful. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I really like people. I like to talk to people. I like, I'm like. i curious about people. I just get energized learning what people do. And client love, clients love it when you're genuinely interested in who they are and what they do. So, And I would say that also, pair, I get a bit of a social justice kind of uh, bone in my body here. Of like, I like equity. I like people to... I, I, I think government's cool because I'm like business who goes for like their customer. Government's got to be like, they got to serve everybody. Like you are a single parent struggling financially, if you're somebody with an, like a different ability or a cognitive or physical ability, if you're somebody in a community that's been underserved in some way, government's still got to solve your problems too. And I just really, I, I like that kind of work where it's like equity is getting improved and everybody's getting leveled up a little bit by when we get this service right or this communications right. So the, those are probably two things. I really like people and I like all people, you know? So that, that's one of the things I like about the work that we do today. Can you share an internet resource or tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? It's, this is just going to be like, this is not going to be unique, but just we live and breathe on Slack. Like just active real-time communication, information, you know, the ability to kind of pause something, pick it up when you have time. We're a distributed shop. And Slack has just been, it's, it's our lifeblood. It's just how everything happens, all our conversations, all our everything. So yeah, just being able to talk to my team in real time, have them respond with as soon as they are able to responsibly in the least disruptive way possible. Uh, Slack has just changed everything for us and it's helped us with our transition over the last three years. We've actually gone fully remote. Like we don't even have offices anymore. So we, we are all in Canada, but we're all over Canada, North, South, East, West, five different time zones. So yeah, Slack is just critical to our success. And what book would you recommend? I think the book, and it's 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 a bit thick for some folks. Like it's it's sort of a, a little academic. But I love an everyone culture. I'm blanking on the authors, but it's the only book that'll show up if you search for an everyone culture. It's written by a couple of folks at a Harvard, and sort of their their core premise is, and it's, it's sort of a cultural um, academic research paper. It's on like, what if you didn't have to go to work all day with two jobs? One, the thing you're paid for. Two. The person you have to pretend to be to fit into your organization's culture and to kind of function politically inside of your organization. I think that part of the job is exhausting and and just being authentic people, a culture where people just be who they are, show up as the person they are, feel safe, feel respected. So, you know, I know a lot of folks get tired of all the, the, you know, equity, diversity, inclusion talk and everything else. But like really, you know, it's, oh, you know, social justice and whatever. Like there's people on all sides of this debate things. But at the bottom line for me, it's just a more efficient way to exist as a human. I can show up. I can be who I am. I feel safe. I can tell the truth. I can sit, I can be honest about my opinions. People will listen to those opinions. You make better decisions. You have better data. You have better engagements as a company. All your measures are better when you have a culture where you can just be who you actually are successfully. 
And so this book and everyone culture just explores how you do that, how you create that kind of a culture and looks at a couple of examples of companies that have done that radical transparency, radical candor. And to me, that, that book was just transformative. I was like, oh yeah, there's a whole other way to do this and, and to think about it. Again, it was sort of an instinct I had to be like that and to value those things, but it gave me a bit of a playbook for how to actually build that type of a culture. Awesome. We, we will link out to an everyone culture, a book by, it looks like Robert Keegan and yes. uh, also lots of other show notes at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Paul, how can our folks find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? A couple of things. Um, I'm not a prolific tweeter, but I'm at Paul Bellows on, on Twitter. Feel free to follow me. Feel free to link. Love to build my network. Also, I've got a podcast where called the 311 Podcast, and I interview folks inside government doing the hard work to do digital change inside of government. It's lonely work. <laughs> it's, it's mighty work. It's important. And I just give them a little pl a platform to stand on to talk about their achievements and how they approach things. It's really cool just listening to sort of our, like our clients and sort of the people who are doing the work on the inside talk about how they get things done and the changes and the, some of the victories and the losses. So yeah, just we're still pretty new in the podcast space, but we, we've got about a eight to 10 episodes out now and you can take a listen to what, what people inside of government are trying to achieve. Awesome. We, we will link out to your Twitter. We'll link out to your podcast and also your website. Check it out. Yellowpencil.com. Yeah, yougurus.com. We'll link out to yellowpencil.com. So we'll make sure... Um, just check out yougurus.com slash podcast. You'll see Paul's picture right up there at the top. Click on him. We'll get his website, his Twitter, become a fan of his and his podcast as well if you want uh, more info on Paul. But yeah, check that out on our show notes page. Paul, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. Brent, thanks for having me. Great to meet you. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want this free gift all about how to scale to six and seven figures and beyond in your agency, just text the word freedom to 720-792-8036. That's the word freedom to 720-792-8036. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.